Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 22 together. All right, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series, In the Beginning, God. And as we've done each week, let's read together Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This morning, we're picking up where we left off last week by looking at the pre-flood world. You remember growing up um, in... in, children's classes, maybe you were part of a children's choir and you sang songs um, to help you learn scripture. You remember songs like um, Father Abraham? How's that go? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Um, We also sang songs like um, I'm in the Lord's Army. Remember that one, I'm in the Lord's Army. Uh, I, I know that y'all would love for me to like sing, but I'm not going to. But that goes, I may never march in the infantry, ride, the artil- or ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never shoot for the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Another one that we um, would sing would be about Noah. And, and, and this one goes, the Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those animals out of the muddy, muddy. So rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Children of the Lord. And the next um, verse goes, so Noah, he built it, he built it, an arky, arky. Noah, he built it, he built it, an arky, arky. Built it out of gopher, barky, barky. Children of the Lord. And then goes into the chorus again. And then the animals, the animals, they came on by twosies, twosies. Animals, the animals, they came on by twosies, twosies. Elephants and kangaroosies, roosies. Children of the Lord. Man, I can't imagine singing that song. But it's a very catchy song. I I listened to it um, uh, and, and thought that it was pretty catchy. We teach kids to sing about the flood and the ark, don't we? But there is some components to the flood that are downright disturbing. God sent a flood, a judgment upon the earth, and everyone dies. And we're teaching our kids to sing a song about a floody, floody. There's some components to this that are just kind of um, messed up in a, in a sense, right? Um, this is a story of God judging the earth. Everyone dies with the exception of one man and his family. Let's read together um, this from, from um, Genesis chapter 6. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all the flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. 
For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Our message point this morning is this. God protects the righteous and condemns the wicked. So notice our first point. Noah walked with God. Again, we read in 9 and 10, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Out of the millions of people that most likely lived on the face of the earth during the days of Noah, Noah is the only man described as having walked with God. He is the only man that is seen as being righteous. This is both amazing and heartbreaking, isn't it? Noah is the second person that we have read about since we started our study in Genesis that has been set apart and described as being righteous, as being a man who walked with God. The first one was Enoch. You remember what happened with Enoch? Enoch walked with God and he was no more. What we see with Noah is Noah walks with God and he avoids God's judgment. God rewarded Noah for his walk. There is something to learn here, isn't there? God rewards those who walk with him. Now think about Noah. We're told that Noah was 500 years old at the time of the birth of his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. So at the age of 500, Noah is described as a man who walked with God. Now think about Noah. I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle walking with the Lord from one day to the next. And for Noah, He is described as having been a man who walked with God most likely for most of the 500 years of his life up until this point. Walking with the Lord is not an easy thing to do, but we know that God rewards those that do. What does it look like to have such faith? How can you and I walk with God all of our days? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but the key to walking with God is to walk at his pace. Don't try to get ahead of him. Don't lag behind him, but walk with him. Another thing is if we're going to walk with the Lord, we've got to be going in the same direction as the Lord. We can't be going this way and the Lord going that way and expect God to change course to come and follow us. That's not how this works. We find out where the Lord is and we join him wherever that might be. Let's look at a few steps to walking with God. The first thing that a person has to do if they're going to walk with God, they have to know God. They have to enter into a saving relationship with the God of the universe, and they do that when they place their faith in, the, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to know God. We also have to grow spiritually. We read in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
We grow when we spend time in prayer, when we worship, when we study God's Word. We also grow when we obey God's Word, when we do what God's Word instructs us to do. As we serve others, we grow. As we come together as a faith community, we grow. Another key to walking with the Lord is we need to be broken by sin. Our own personal sin needs to break us because we know it grieves the heart of God. The sin of others should break us as well. We should grieve when we witness atrocities like we saw this week down in Uvalde. Another key to walking with the Lord is we need to be prepared to stand alone. Like Noah, we need to be prepared to stand alone. When the world around us is living independent of God and doing what they deem to be right in their own eyes, you and I need to be prepared to go against the flood and live our lives sold out for Jesus. Another key is this. We need to share Jesus with other people. In 2 Peter 2.5, we are told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We read, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was not only a builder, but Noah was also a preacher. He preached of God's righteousness. He preached to the people and encouraged them to do what? Encouraged them to repent of their sins and to turn from their wicked ways and to follow after the Lord. Here's a sad truth. No one heeded the words of Noah. This does not mean he was a lousy preacher or even an ineffective preacher. It means that the people's hearts were so hardened that they chose to die a sinner's death instead of believing in the Lord. Know that our job is to preach and to share. God is the one that does the saving, right? Paul makes that abundantly clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you believe. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You and I, at the moment of our salvation, were commissioned to go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation. That was not a great suggestion. That was a great commandment. Notice next. Notice the corruption of man. In verses 11 through 13, we read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. What a terrible indictment against man that is. Within this passage, we read of God's evaluation of man. We are told twice in these three verses that the earth was corrupt and that it was filled with violence. The world goes the, the world God once described as being very good in Genesis chapter 1, he is now describing as being a total mess. I think all of us in this room can say that we have known the world to be better than it is 
today, right? Just this week alone, we witnessed man at his absolute worst. The evil done in Uvalde this week has left all of us heartbroken, as well as what we've seen in recent weeks in places like Buffalo and the streets of Chicago and New York and L.A. and other places. When I think about those in Uvalde, my heart breaks for those moms and dads and grandparents and siblings and that community. Why did that happen? Because of the evilness of man. Just like the days of Noah, the days you and I live in today are corrupt days, and the world is filled with violence. And to that I say, come, Lord Jesus, and send the evil to the hell that it was created for. You know what always accompanies man's evilness? God's judgment. We read here in verse 13, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence. Through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I think it is safe to say that this was not an easy decision for the Lord. God was broken because of man's sinfulness. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 7, we read, The Lord saw that, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. God was broken, wasn't he? But we know that God would give man 120 years to repent of their sins and to come back into a right standing with the God of the universe. But unfortunately, they chose not to. Remember these words shared by Jesus about his second coming in Matthew 24. For as, we, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of of the Son of Man. Of the millions of people that lived, only one man in his family would be saved from judgment. As a result of man's sinfulness, God would give instructions to Noah. Notice our third point, God's instruction to Noah. In verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. The ark was more than just a boat. It was more than just a cruise ship. It was a haven for all of humanity. The future of humanity. It was a haven for the animals. Two by two, they came in to that ark. A few years ago, um, I went with a, a group of, of, of people from the church up to Kentucky to the Ark Encounter. How many of y'all have been there before? I know that several of um, y'all have, but if you have never gone to the Ark Encounter, let me encourage you to go. It's an, it's a, it's an amazing sight to see. I mean, there is a life-size replica 
of the ark. In, 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 in verse 15, we are given in instruction as to how big Noah was to build that ark. We read, this is how you are to make it. Um, the length of the ark, 300 cubits. The breadth, 50 cubits. And the height, 30 cubits. Um, a cubit is about from a person's elbow to their, their middle finger. That's of anywhere, some people say it's 17 and a half inches. Some people say it's 20 inches. Some people say it could be as much as 22 inch. We don't know, but what we know is that Noah used the breadth of his arm to build the ark. So the ark would have been about 500 feet long, almost a football field. It was about 80 feet tall, three stories, and about 50 feet why? It was a massive boat, a massive ship. And within these verses, we see that the ark provided protection. In verses 17 and 18, we read, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. What do you think it was like for Noah to hear those words that God was going to bring utter destruction to the earth? Then his family would be the only family that would be saved from those floodwaters. I, I, I can't imagine what that would be like to hear. What about um, hearing the words, I will establish my covenant with you? You know, God made a covenant with Noah. It was a promise that even though everyone else on the planet would perish, Noah, his wives, his sons, and their wives, as well as two of every animal, would be protected from the flood. The ark was a safe haven from the storm and a safe haven from God's judgment. There is a parallel between Noah's ark in the salvation that you and I receive in Jesus. I want to read to you um, how um, Ray Pritchard shares about how Jesus is the ark of our salvation. Notice the comparisons that he shares. Number one, just as the ark was provided by God, Christ was sent from heaven as a gracious provision for our salvation. The ark was sealed inside and out with pitch. Just as the pitch sealed and covered the spaces between the planks of gopher wood, the blood of Christ covers our sins so that they cannot rise up and condemn us any longer. Isn't that good news? That Christ's blood provides a covering for us. There was only one ark provided, and it had only one door. There was one way in and one way out. There is only one way to heaven. And that is through Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There are not a hundred different ways to heaven. There is one way that is through Jesus. The ark saved everyone who entered, just as everyone who enters into a faith relationship with Christ is saved. The ark was a place of total security. No matter how high the waters rose, the people and the animals inside were safe. And the last thing here is once God shut the door, no one else can enter. That is a sad and solemn thought. 
Today is the day of grace. The door of salvation is open to all who would enter. If you do not know Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your faith and trust in him. Notice also the ark provided needed provisions. In verse 21, we read, Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. You know, God made sure that Noah and his family and those animals would be protected. One of the cool things about the ark is we have no idea what that looked like inside. We're not given any kind of um, description whatsoever. What Ken Ham did and, and those who um, constructed the, the ark there in Kentucky is they figured out a way that of all of the species, every species two by two could enter and be safely kept. They created a feeding system to feed all of those animals as well as, I mean, it's just amazing to think, but God provided everything that they needed to sustain that flood. Our last point is this. The most important thing Noah did is Noah obeyed God. In verse 22, we read, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah was given a monumental task, one that seemed impossible to do. But you know what? He did it, and God rewarded him. And as a result of that, he is placed amongst the great faith champions of Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 7 of Hebrews 11, we read, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. As we close this morning, I want us to look at what a person of faith does. The first thing that a person of faith does is they risk their reputation. You can bet that Noah was ridiculed probably every single day. It probably took him about 75 years or so to build the ark. And for 75 years, you know that he was known as crazy Noah, the crazy man from the city. I bet you, man, they had built a little city outside of that ark. And there was probably a bazaar there, man. They probably had food wagons. They probably had tents where you could get everything that you needed to be entertained for a Friday night. And they probably watched Noah every night as he built that ark. But a person of faith risks their reputation. They don't care what other people think about them. Their concern is the salvation of their family, the salvation of others, and pleasing the Lord. Also, a person of faith protects their household. Noah, because of his obedience, saved his household. He heeded the warning, built the ark, and out of obedience, he believed the Lord would save his family as a remnant that would be used to reproduce the world or repopulate the world. Can you imagine the weight that he carried? The responsibility given to him wasn't just saving his own household, but saving future households as well. I think it's important for each of us in this room to feel the weight of the pressure of saving our household from the wickedness outside the doors of our home and our churches. I don't know about you, but I want to do everything I can to protect my wife and my children, 
your children and others from the wickedness of man. In Proverbs 22, 6, we read, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Don't give your kids and your grandkids just worldly advice. Give them biblical advice. Train them, raise them, equip them, prepare them for the world outside the doors of this church. We know that the world is evil. And the only hope against evilness is Jesus Christ. Let's be a light in this dark world. Remember, God protects the righteous and condemns the wicked. Every single person that has yet to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, if they were to die today, they would spend eternity separated from him. I pray that every single person in this room has a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to come and make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart in the resurrection that God raised his son Jesus from the grave. If you have not done that, I want to invite you this morning to do that. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Father God, we come before you this morning. Again, thanking you for the opportunity to worship you. Thanking you for the opportunity to open up your word and to study your word. Father, I pray, Lord, during this time that if there's someone that does not have a relationship with you, today will be the day of their salvation. Father, I know that as we study the story of Noah, It's one that is a very, very difficult one because we know that as a result of man's sin, millions of people perished in those floodwaters. And Father, we also know, Lord, that there are billions of people on the face of this earth today that have yet to enter into a faith relationship with you. And Lord Jesus, use us as your church to go to them to share with them the good news of salvation. Oh, Father, just move through us, use us as your tools and your instruments. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a decision you need to make. You come, you come.